Welcome to the latest Forever Blue podcast. I'm Ian Cheeseman, and uh, of course, we're in the studios of Tameside Radio, for which I am very grateful for this latest podcast, which is sponsored by CharlesLouis.co.uk. That's the website of a chartered mortgage advisor. They're based in Ramsbottom, so not too far away from Manchester. So if you you're local, then you can pop in. If you're not local and you want to make use of their services, give them a call. All you've got to do is go to the website, charleslouis.co.uk, the Louis spell L-O, like the French way, L-O-U-I-S, charleslouis.co.uk. And if you give them a call, especially if you tell them that Forever Blue was where you found out about them, uh, then they will be more than happy to help you, whether you're a business, whether you're just thinking of moving yourself, getting a mortgage, or whether or not you've got family or friends who are looking to move. And obviously we're get, getting towards spring now, so that is a good time to be thinking that way. Now, on Forever Blue today, we've got three guests, as always. Um, we've got Emily and Nathan, who is a semi-regular contributor. So thanks so much to the two of you for coming down. We've also got a special guest today, which is Jeff Durbin, former commercial manager of Manchester City, who will give us, a, I'm sure, a slightly different perspective on some of the things that have happened recently. Uh, I've got to say, to begin with, that I was down watching City Women this afternoon against Chelsea. Uh, three and a half thousand were down there at the CFA. Uh, great game, 3-3. City were leading 1-0, 2-1. Then Chelsea were leading 3-2 and it ended up being 3-3. And, perhaps very topically, City missed a penalty uh, in the midst of all that, <laughs> which uh, perhaps wouldn't surprise too many people. Um, so, uh, with that in mind, uh, first of all, well done to, to City's women. I, I know that a win, a win would have been a lot better for them in terms of their title pursuit, but a great achievement and great to see such a, a good atmosphere down there as well. Uh, and before I suppose I go any further with, with Jeff now sat here, when you were at City back in the, uh, I know you joined in the 80s. The and, old um, days, you mean? Yeah, the old there. days. There was a City ladies, I think, yeah. f- uh, formed about that time, but it took on a completely different level now, wasn't it? Well, yeah, I, mean, I remember that very well because um, a lad called Neil Mather was heavily involved in, in, in He was at the that. game today, I saw him um, at the game. Yeah, um, and Neil also has the uh, the honour, if that's the right word, of being my first ever lottery agent because the first thing I did when I joined the club, see if I can sign up a few lottery agents. So I was out knocking on doors in Moss Side and various other places and Neil was, was actually the first uh, lottery agent I signed so we've always been sort of bonded in that way. And Alex Williams, of course, who, who um, finished playing just about that time and... And got involved from the from the start, but I mean the the club wouldn't even you know get them a kit in those days. Neil came to me and said, "Any chance, Jeff, you could try and get some sponsorship and stuff like that?" It was really there was no embracing of the the women's team, if the truth be told, by the regime at that time. So it's changed a bit. <laughs> yeah, it changed. But you know, if it wasn't people like Neil and, and Alex and all the ones that have followed all the way through, and I know there's been some debate about you know the, the new and the old, and you know some of the headlines about this is the first time. Well, actually, it isn't. But it sort of doesn't matter to me. I mean, you know, they did amazing work, and it was it was actually harder then because they had to battle against so many things, um, and uh, you know they deserve great credit, and the club does because we were one of the first to to have a, a, a women's team as we were the first to have a community club. I think there's only us and another five clubs in, the, in those early days. So um, that's something the club should be proud of. Absolutely. Well, City got back into uh, to playing action after the break, uh, the, the winter break. Uh, and obviously during that winter break, the, the big story broke about UEFA uh, kicking City out of the Champions League for two years, which we have talked about on the podcast. Not that we can't talk about it again. But two games since then, the home victory against West Ham and then a 1-0 win uh, away at Leicester so let's start with uh, with you two um, what, what did you make of, of the two comeback games and as much as anything the way the crowd reacted uh, I mean I, I was down in the away end at Leicester uh, I've never heard so much positive singing and I mean, I, I, I captured some of the songs and put them on the, the, the vlog that I do. Um, not least the uh, we're going to go down with a billion in the bank and everything, which uh, I've never heard that. I mean, it's been sung so many times in the past, but really, really was sung with gusto and feeling by the City fans. So how do you feel about the two performances and the way that City fans have reacted to everything? I think um, everyone's a bit more relaxed because... Uh, with the uh, with the with the such with there being such a gap towards Liverpool now, it's um, the pressure's off and we're just kind of enjoying the 
you know the experience really there's no there's no tension in when you're playing so you can just go go along with your mates and i noticed that like, we spoke before about the changes in the the uh, ticket allocation and it on the video i didn't go yesterday but on the videos it looked like a lot of younger lads there and maybe that was reflected in the atmosphere and being it more lively which is always a good thing i believe and and like it was a good good win against west ham as well so it's it seems like we're just getting in our flow a bit i think i still don't think it's all quite there but it all uh, it all gears positively towards Wednesday for me. What about you? Yeah, um, two wins on the bounce, two clean sheets as well. Um, um, both really uh, positive, confident performances. I thought um, West Ham put up a pretty decent fight defensively in the first half, um, but it was quite obvious that their game plan was just damage limitation, and I think even David Moyes admitted that post-match, um, and it was inevitable that we get the breakthrough. Declan Rice had a really good game for them, so, I mean, obviously, he'll be poached if they get relegated. But, yeah, really, really confident. I mean, I had a little niggle about yesterday just after the first half because I was just a bit frustrated watching it because I thought in the first half were a bit sloppy and some of the crosses some of some of the decision making on the ball um when we got the ball I just thought they could they had the time on the ball to have a little bit more of a th- think about it there was a few times when the balls were coming in from 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 wide and it was just a hit and hope kind of situation instead of actually taking the time on the ball to have a look around look at the options but then second half we really really improved I thought Kyle Walker and Mendy as well were both superb um, and Fernandinho and Mares again really really good and an inspired substitution as well with um, Jesus from Pep um, he spotted the gaps on, on in that positioning and as soon as Jesus came on it was exploited and bang we got the goal and you kind of always felt like in the Leicester game it was there for the taking and we just, yeah, I'm so glad that we got the win and, and we did actually take advantage because they were on the back foot in the second half, Leicester, um, and a couple more of those controversial decisions, obviously, that we'll probably talk about. But yeah, really confident and just what we needed going in now. Um, all the fans bouncing again and, and we've got a really, really tough fortnight coming up now. So, I mean, I'm excited. I relish the challenge of it. Obviously, the the West Ham game, the home game, City got a lot of criticism. I mean, talking about the fans here, I I always say unfair criticism, but nevertheless, they got criticism for the fact that the the crowd wasn't uh, the posted crowd because a lot of people couldn't make it, perhaps because of the short notice, the weather and all sorts of other things. Is that something that exercises your mind as a a City fan or does it not not bother you when this criticism comes in? It's uh, I just find um, it a bit tiring, really. It's it's just a bit repetitive. It's the, it's like the only thing they've got against us. If it's not financial fair play, it's or it's empty seats. I don't I don't see an issue personally. I I, I wish it was full, but I'm I'm more than aware that we have pretty much the same fan base that we've had for the last twenty or so years. Um, we don't have that pull to bring people in. So when other like others can't make it, there's that there isn't the demand to fill it. But that that's not an, an issue for me. I'd rather have the the fifty thousand, like forty thousand, whatever hard hardcore support that you know are always going to be there than than anybody just just filling a seat, for for example. So it doesn't bother me. What what the only thing that I would say is I I wonder what impression it gives to the players because if they walk out um, and see a like. A, a, a sparse stand opposite them it, it makes them think if well if they can't be bothered you know it maybe subconsciously it thinks well wh- why should I I mean Jeff you've got a, a completely different so I mean I know you're a fan so, so let's start with that so Absolutely, you're a fan that's what I'm hearing. but there is also the the professional head that, that you mm. have had as it I mean you've been a commercial manager very recently, it's not as if you. I know you were at, at City till the beginning of the, no. uh, the the millennium, but you've still been working at, at Warrington and, and Lancashire County Cricket Club as a commercial manager. So this empty seat thing and and the, the expansion of the brand is something you you're very well aware of, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I, I look, I think there's a, first one. There's a great point at the end about what the players <clears throat> and the manager will, will will think about, and there's actually two aspects to that. One is if we you know whether we fill the ground on like West Ham, but the, the thing that gets me and it's my pals know is a bit of a bugbear <clears throat> is the leaving before the end, and I think you know whilst it happens at a lot of clubs, um, I think we've got an issue with that. I think that you know there's a very good reason why 
Um, we don't sell all our seats, all our tickets for various reasons. One of them is financial pressure on, on you know, pockets that have been pressurised with huge number of games we never used to have. So I, I absolutely get that. But once you paid and you're in the stadium, you stay there and you support. Now, there might be the odd one who needs to get back to a sick relative or whatever, but, you know, near us, we have, um, there's a couple, I won't, well, I don't mention them because I don't know the name, but 83 minutes, 83 minutes every single game, off they go. I, I, for, for me, that's that's an issue because you know you've now got when the players finish, you know, laugh on, and there's literally hardly anyone in the stadium. I believe that does actually become an issue for the players and, and the match. So even if we can argue amongst ourselves, I, I, I think that that's one thing. When it comes to the um, the stadium, I, I think there's a lot of hypocrisy on this one in terms of the criticism criticism we get, and by that I mean there are two issues here. One is the size, the status, the fan base of the club. So if the criticism is you're a small club with no history, which is another issue which, which gets me very riled in terms of no history, I'm sure all of us, um, if we're not one of those big clubs with global support, well, okay, let's if we accept that for a minute, then you cannot criticise for the MTCs because one goes with the other. If we don't accept that and say, no, actually, we, we are one of the big clubs, well, then you've got to say, well, hang on a minute, then we should expect to... Uh, to fill the seats. How quickly you do that is another matter because the fan base, actually, if you go back to the real old days, I think you'll find there's one season in the 80s where we actually dipped below 20,000 as an average. It was just under, which was a bit frightening. So what is the core support? 20-something thousand. So to build that to 50,000 is is a task, is a marketing task and takes some time. Whether the club was right to build the extra tier at that time instead of building up a waiting list of 10,000 a season to get holders again there's probably a discussion about that I think I probably know which route I'd have taken but you know um, I think it's probably about the only criticism I would have of the club's strategy I think they've been absolutely fantastic with what they've done generally um, but it's this hypocrisy that's a problem you know it can't be two things either we are a, a fantastic club which has achieved great things with a great team let's be honest it should be watched by more people but it takes time to build that, that base up it's interesting this discussion and, and obviously knowing that you're a, a commercial manager uh, and that's been your history in employment and knowing oh, that you still got a commercial director at Lancashire County oh, Cricket Club. I mean, sorry, I'm sorry, I didn't to mean about you being a banker in the As long as there's a B in that word, um, <laughs> but, but it, uh, in, in terms of, of of your, you still have connections at the club, so I'm not, you know, I know it's a very difficult situation for you to answer, but. Uh, for, for lots of reasons, but in terms of the way that the club is expanding, this might seem like a controversial question. It's not meant to be. It's meant to be just a legitimate question. Yeah. Are they trying to to run before they walk in terms of looking for this global um, this global fan base? When actually week in week out, nineteen league games plus cup ties, mm. you have mm. to have locally, mainly locally based supporters to to go to a game like West Ham when you've only got ten days notice when it's rearranged, and you're not going to fill that, and uh, you know unless you're mega in terms of your worldwide brand. Look, well, first of all, connections. I left twenty years ago, believe it or not. This, this you still year, got so friends there, though, aren't you? Got friends there, but you know I, I'm not connected in any, in any way that would give me any sort of special information I'm, I'm sorry to, to tell you but I, I no, I think the global expansion is absolutely right I mean um, the chief executive on several occasions has talked to fans about the fact that we are focused on global expansion but also our, our local base and they're very proud of that heritage I mean I think that, that they deserve massive credit for understanding and respecting the heritage of the club you know the focus on the for example the 99 um, uh, playoff final and, and so on you know a lot of um, uh, people who would have come in and taken a look might have actually said, "Well, let's let's forget about that. That's the, we don't want to focus on history." They, I think they got the balance right with 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 that. Um, but the local thing, I mean, it, it is different to all the other situations. I think my point is that if you look, look at it purely from a marketing point of view, it's good practice to build up a waiting list. Um, now that means some you know, maybe some people can't actually watch every single game, but it does not help you when you when you're selling it. But I'm absolutely certain that there were bigger reasons for that expansion, part of the longer term project. And so I, I'm not going to. A massive problem with it but I make the point that that probably was done quite early if you go forward 10 years when we've won the Champions League a couple of times and a few other things and that stadium isn't full with 56,000 people or more then, then there's something wrong Yeah the two games recently that we've been really hit for with the, the empty seat um, comments and things have been the Fulham game in the Cup and obviously the West Ham game recently the Fulham game in the Cup obviously even with the reduced ticket prices it was the middle of January where everybody nearly everybody more or less is skint and there was loads of um, of ticket 
um, things coming out of people's banks at the same time. So it was probably just a case that people just can't afford that. You know what what price success, and then the West Ham game was obviously rearranged, and it's been rearranged right in the middle of half term, where I know so many fans who've already booked holidays to go away in half term, and they actually couldn't make it. So then they put their tickets on the city ticket exchange. Somebody else tries to buy it, but for example, my brother wanted to go to the the West Ham game because he could actually go then because it was rearranged. He wasn't away. Um, he went to buy a ticket, and it's fifty five pound. I mean, they've got to really think about where, what they want to do moving forward. Do they want bums on seats or do they want empty seats? They have to look at, I know they need to make money, I know it's FFP, but if they want a full stadium, they've got to be a little bit more sensible with the ticket pricing because that... I hear what you're saying and, I, and my, you know, my job is to play devil's advocate. Yeah. Um, somebody told me yesterday who, uh, who I trust uh, what they actually... Well, they actually told me what the official through the gate <coughs> attendance was for the West Ham game. Mm. And there were an awful lot of people who didn't go. The cynical side, if, if what he's telling me is true, and I believe it was, uh, the cynical side of, of other fans commenting on these empty seats would say, yes, we hear that the West Ham game only had 10 days notice for, for the rearrangement and people work. And, and I certainly understand that. And I'm certainly not sitting here preaching to people saying they've got to attend games. I fully understand that. But the cynical question that comes off it is, if that had been against Manchester United, would the same number of people not mm. got to the game? They would have found a way to get there. So... Is it just purely about all these things you've got to rearrange? Just one thing on that, though. I mean, you probably saw the report where the Manchester United attendance figures were looked at. There was a request under Freedom of Information. This and is at Old Trafford. Yes, at Old Trafford. And on average, they, they were overstated. I mean, that's it's not technically overstated because if you pay for a ticket, it's included. But in terms of the actual bums on the seats, about 10,000 less. I think the one European game was about 28,000 less or something crazy. So let's let's not see this just as a Manchester City problem. Um, sorry to go back to it again, but I think in terms of a fan discussion, the bigger issue for me is fans leaving before the end. Well, uh, and we'll, let's just explore that a little bit. It's like question you time. You're, you, you're you, telling me to not, not, not leave now. Aren't you? It's very good, you, yeah. you, you should do that programme, actually. You'd be great at question time. <laughs> Thank you. You, you. you can't block the aisles. You can't tell people they can't go. I mean, again, there's two sides of this. It was a 7.30 kickoff, so it was hard to get there, but it meant you left a bit earlier, so you had more time to get home for school, for work, for whatever reason you had to go early, and yet you're saying lots of people still went. When I sit in the ground and watch people leaving, I look at some of them, I think, yeah, I can see why you're going. There's somebody that we know, which I won't name because I'm not going to uh, make it a personal thing, who, who leaves a bit like you said about yeah. 83 minutes into every game, and I can see that she's he's not massive well and probably has to to do that of course but but there are an awful lot of people who leave early but you can't board up the exits you can't tell people they can't leave it's a fr- they've paid for the ticket they can do what they want so how do you stop this we'll take away the season for the leave no no I, I, I've heard all sorts of things no I, I think I, the, forget the West Ham game it's the bigger games that bother me I mean the Chelsea game not too long ago which is a that's a pretty you know one of our most important games still and it was and the game is poised and still, people are leaving 10 minutes before the end, and it's significant. Look, I, I, I'm a huge advocate for City fans. I, I, I very, very rarely criticise fans, I, I, and I'm a defender of City fans, I have been since probably I was about three. I mean, you know, so it's, that's, that, I'm not here knocking City fans, but it's an issue that has to be discussed, and as we looked at whether there are things the club could do, I, I don't know. I think well, the, more can they do? the more it's discussed, the more it is talked about. I mean, I would rather. When Pep was caught on the hop after that cup game, which I thought was crazy, when you know Klopp is given an easy ride when he's when he's played a lot of youngsters, and the first question um, that our manager gets is is about the attendance, which I think is, is typifies the sort of media questioning, um, you know. But but you know th- that that's just a an example of where maybe a manager could say if the man there's always this nervousness of a manager criticising fans, and I get that, but it would be legitimate in some forum for the manager or players to say this is how we feel. We're not criticising, but does it make us feel great when we look across at great swathes of empty territory? No, it doesn't. Yeah, but he has done that ahead of Champions League games, mm. and then there's been a you know the, the the press have spun it as to Pep's upset at the City fans for yeah, for I, not I, coming more and not being I, more vociferous. You can't I win, accept, can yeah, you? No, I accept it's a challenge, and it's it's not there's no easy answer, but I still think it's an issue. 
actually that we oughtn't to be afraid to talk about it because I think we get so much criticism from outside as fans. It's almost like we can't say anything negative about ourselves because we're constantly criticised from outside. So I get that, but I just think it's probably the only thing where I where it gets me it gets me riled and spoils my enjoyment. Everything else I'd be very defensive. You know whether it's the empty seats. And actually, if we didn't have the empty seats, we wouldn't be able to sing half our songs now, would we? So I don't, I don't, think we, I don't want to change that, do we? Absolutely. What about you, Nathan? Does it bother you when people leave early? Uh, I never really understand it. I always think, what, how much of a difference does that five minutes make? And if I was in the club's position, I'd be going, I'd be putting a post out or whatever to whoever is leaving that at that time, and I'd be asking them, why are you leaving late? And then I'd try and remedy that in whatever way that is possible for the club. But throwing it back to what you said about if it was United, I, I have. I have my own opinion that we have developed a more of a, and we've moved away from the working class supporters, and we've seen to have attracted <coughs> more of like middle class families coming to the to the to the games as like a day out, and maybe they can afford to take the hit and not go to the midweek games. Yet I I always think like, and then there's more people crying out for the cheaper tickets. So I I, I have I, I can it's kind of like a catch twenty two. I kind of feel like if you make the tickets cheaper more people can afford not to go if you get what I'm saying and I know they brought in the um, at the start of the year the percentage if you miss so many games they'd revoke your ticket but you know it's on Wednesday there were so many people that didn't turn up and I guarantee most of them were season ticket holders. This is a very interesting area we're going into because um, uh, somebody that both um, Jeff and I know, Chris Muir, who used to be a director, I uh, remember him travelling on, on a football special to an away game at about the time when the full members' cup was introduced. I don't know if people remember that. You probably don't even remember that, Nathan. I ain't got a clue. <laughs> the full <laughs> members' cup was a, a competition that was introduced when English clubs were banned from Europe. And it was, uh, it was the top two divisions, the full members' cup, who played in this... It played in the midweeks where the uh, the European games would have been. Uh, they also introduced the Associate Members' Cup for the bottom two divisions at the same time, which still is played today. It's a leasing.com trophy, the one that City play uh, the under-23s in at the moment. Um, so that full Members' Cup came in, and I remember having a conversation with Chris Muir on one of these football specials, and I, and I was just a fan at the time. Just, I'm still a fan, I know, but I was just a fan. And I, and I was an obsessed, home and away, like I am now. And I said to him, I'm really upset about this full Members' Cup being introduced because you're putting a strain on me as a fan to get time off work, to find the money to travel to away games and, of course, the games at, at Main Road. So, how you know, you could break me. You could get to the point where I actually want to miss a game, think, you know what, that wasn't too bad, I'll miss another game. So I said, why are you introducing this? You can't be expecting big crowds. You can't be expecting people... You know, to, to to really bring in a lot of income from this, and and the conversation went. I said, by the way, how, how many do you need to walk in through the gate at Main Road to make that game break even? Because obviously, there's running costs of stewards, policing, the lights on, and, and paying the players and all the rest of it, right? And he said four thousand. So this was all part of that conversation, and I said. So, so if we only get four thousand and ten turn up at the game, he said, "Well, it's worth playing, then, isn't it? Because we make a small profit." And I thought, "What a small-minded way of looking at it!" And it really made me angry. Now you were still I still probably better, right? You've you got to let it go. <laughs> you were probably the commercial manager at that time, Jeff. So, you know, the, 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 what Nathan's talked about, which is sort of overstretching people. Is that I mean, as a commercial manager, you want to get the most you can? I understand that, but there is that line, isn't there? What was, what was the year we played Chelsea in that fact? Which was a good game, by the way, wasn't it? Yeah, uh, eighty-six, I think it was eighty-six. Oh, I think it was. I think it was the year before I joined. It was eighty-six. But um, so I'm not remember, blaming you for it. I'm no, just asking you the but, general principle uh, question. Well, general Tennises were, always, were were actually understated in those days because Stan Gibson had his own little turnstile that lots of people used to go through in various things. It was a different different era when we get to attendances and actually what the proper figure is. So it might have been the other way around in those days. I, I, I think going back to what you asked about different sports, I think culturally there's a difference in that at Warrington Wolves or a rugby league club, for example, and indeed at Lancashire County Cricket Club, the onus was on us to build attendances. We wouldn't say, well, they ought to come because we've got a great player this week or whatever it might be. 
the, the cultures you work your backside off to develop those agendas. There's a massive focus on it, particularly at Warrington. If you if you came into the debrief on a Monday and we haven't quite hit the figures, you know, everyone took responsibility for that. And I think there is a little bit of we don't really need to do that quite as much. Football sort of, you know, it's about loyalty and about you know you'll you'll build attendances in different ways. I'm not suggesting they don't do anything. Of course they do, but I just wonder whether, if you look at the smaller clubs and other sports, I think actually work a lot harder with a lot more creative strategies, probably than a, a big club who thinks, well, hang on a minute, we've spent billions on players, we've got all these things that they ought to come. In. We built it, therefore they shall come. So I think there probably is a, a difference there. And that's not criticism; it's just uh, almost cultural and, and come through over over many many years. Does the moving of games stretch your loyalty? You too? Not really, because. I kind of feel like I'll always find a way um, and I'll always try and make it work. Midweeks are quite difficult for me with having two young children. I've um, got two under the age of five. So uh, they're always quite difficult because either I have to go on my own because me and my partner are both obsessive City fans um, or we have to get grandparents sitters. So it is really difficult. But, for example, this the, the, the up-and-coming weekend at Wembley, we're taking both of them with us for the very first time. Um, we take my eldest a lot and we'll always try and find a way but I just I feel so aggrieved at the moment because I just feel like we're getting it from all angles in the media and everywhere from rival fans all this stuff with um, financial fair play um, and I've been seeing journalists from all different kind of newspapers writing articles telling us what we should be thinking as City fans, what we should be feeling. Nobody has any kind of right to dictate how you should feel as a football fan. Nobody has any right to judge how you should feel as a football <coughs> fan either. And if it's empty seats or if it's financial fair play or if it's the owners, it, I feel like we're getting it from all angles and I feel like it's so unfair. I know I'm probably sounding like I'm really moaning, but... I'm just absolutely sick of it. I just want to watch my football team play football. I don't particularly care what league they're in. I'd love them to be in the Premier League. I'd love them to be winning silverware. But whether it's, you know, like I've been there for Swales, Lee, Bernstein, Wardle, all throughout the chairman, all through the managerial merry-go-round, merry whether it was Alan Ball or, you know, Steve Koppel for 32 days or however long it was, doesn't matter, I'm a football fan. I just want to watch my football team play football and I just feel like it's all too much. It's a massive whirlwind at the moment. I'm sick of all the distractions from it. I just I just want to see them. But I think that, that comes back to Nathan's point about different types of fans, you know, that, that hardcore, you know, will do anything to watch my team, which, you know, if you try to um, measure the importance of fans, and that has to be number one, those yeah. fans. But the reality is that you know, there is a core of that. And that the clubs, and this is very generalised, but their overall strategy has to be look to build attendance, regular attendance of fifty odd thousand. Um, we need to start looking at other reasons for coming, which is to watch a great football team. That's actually one or two individual players that are worth the gate money, aren't they? Let's be honest. You know, actually seeing your team win, the younger generation, you know, sort of three, four, five, seven year olds who want to see their team win and come out for all that excitement is very different to the motivation that the sort of hardcore home and away. And and you've got to be able to do do both, I think, and actually look look at the differences between them. So as we and that's my point about the next ten years or however long it takes, if the club continues to do what it's doing then we have to fill that state and we have to do it in different ways. But it, it shouldn't take away your right to feel the way you do, home and away, different someone. If someone wants to come along and pay their money and just be entertained and they have their role in a different way, we all live happily together in that way. Your point about the criticism I absolutely get. Um, and I, what's got to me isn't some... I mean, we're an easy target. It's almost um, an indefinable sense of glee that the articles have. You know, even though they're supposed to be professional, independent journalists, there's a little bit of a sort of glee in having a go at us that, that they managed to, to, to convey, which I think yeah. is wrong. And I do wonder, I'm sorry if I'm changing the subject, cheesy, you can never go at me later on, I'll never be invited back again, but when it comes to financial fair play and so on, you know, if City appeal and win the appeal, because that's quite possible, what will all of those journalists say... Will there be a humble pie yet? Or actually, it'll be, well, actually, we don't believe... In the same way we're saying we don't really trust you, and don't believe what they're saying, they'll just say, well, actually, we're, we're, we're not going to trust the independent view. Well, I'll tell you what, I, I think that's a harder position to take because it's a truly independent panel with none of the baggage that could be construed. And I think we've got to be careful about you know, criticising UEFA and this person is, you know, may have conflict of interest. Just keep away from all of that. 
and focus on supporting the club, and this is where I think as supporters we have to see, there shouldn't be any negative vibes about, oh, you know, we've seen these leaked emails, you know, and obviously, absolutely not. As supporters, that's where I think until the independent review happens, we should be holding the line and supporting the club, saying, look, we, we do have faith and we have trust in... Um, just as we we have faith and trust in Pep, we 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 believe in the in the board. Um, if it's proved differently, well then as fans we have a in a, a right. To, that's the time to do it. Until then, let's let all the other people have a go at us, but stick stick with it. Particularly on the basis that financial fair play, and this point has not really got through, is nothing to do whatsoever about stopping the investment that came in um, through Sheikh Mansour. Um, and creating a level playing field. I would encourage anyone just to spend five minutes, go on the UEFA website and read what financial fair play is all about. You will not see one comment about levelling the playing field. It's all about financial sustainability. And guess what? Manchester City Football Club are one of the most financially sustainable clubs in the world. And yet we're the ones facing a ban. That's the issue. Now you brought this subject up. This is a question that I had to ask you tonight at some point, but it seems like now is the point. Um, obviously at Leicester's today the uh, the Leicester fans were singing cheat, cheat, cheat and all the rest of it and that's going to happen a lot more while this is ongoing um, I'm not just talking about that, that chanting but generally as a commercial manager are you worried that whether this is ultimately found innocent or not because of all the mud that's been thrown by the journalists you're talking about by fans of other clubs whoever it might be that City now get labelled with this cheating sort of you know brand you know what, what i'm getting at is has the brand been fatally damaged it, it wouldn't worry me at all in terms of fans because that's what fans banter is all about it's picking on the weakness of your opposition having a go yeah but so, i'm talking i'm not so just talking the, about i'm not talking about hardcore fans because which no, is uh, me and emily and nathan he's only 19 yeah, still 20. 20 just turned 20 right he's a hardcore fan actually yeah. right now he goes home and away. He'll be in Madrid next week, won't you? Yeah, yeah. Um, so th- these are hardcore fans. Yeah. No, those, their opinions won't change. Our opinions in this room will not change. But the the fan who uh, I won't name her, but there was there was a young lady at the game yesterday uh, yeah. who I met in Houston on a pre-season uh, tour a couple of years ago with City. Lovely, lovely person. Um, and she was at the game, and I've got a feeling it might have even been her first game, certainly first away game yesterday. And I saw when the teams came out crying. She was actually crying. She was that emotional about being there and seeing it. I wanted to try and get her on the vlog uh, to capture that, and, and she's going to Madrid, so I might do it then. Those people who are, you know, who are relatively new, who come from, do you think that I, I might ask her this question if I get the chance to next week? But it, those are the people who might possibly be affected by the brand being damaged, aren't they? Well, I, I take your point absolutely individually, but firstly. It's exceptional at the minute because it's it's such hot news and it will die down. It might die down completely if we're actually proved not to be cheats, but of the chance will still be there. But you'll always, I say again, and some of the things that are, have been chanted over the years you know, are, are not acceptable at all, but there's usually that dark humour that comes from the opposition fans. And I think people in the stadium will sort of get that. The self-deprecating part will be we'll chant it ourselves a little bit and, and you know that happens in other clubs, whether it's boring or whatever it might be, you, you take the mickey out of yourself. Where I'd be more worried commercially is when it comes to the absolute vital commercial revenue. If you look at, at you know the financial fair play issues, which is what we have to look at them in terms of revenues, will potential sponsors, brands being associated with a club that has apparently, um, allegedly been proved to be cheating, that's where I would be more concerned. Maybe it's because of my commercial background, but I think that there will be, even if even if people don't don't say it publicly, I think they will use that as an excuse to be cautious about being involved. That, that would be a worry. So the stakes are very high very on high, this, yeah. aren't they? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. But unfortunately you can't sue people for reputational damage chanting in your stadium you do very well to catch them all and actually do that you know so it's actually um you know something you can't do do much much about uh, and, and you know overall so from a fan's point of view i don't think it's just another part of the of the inevitable banter that will happen there's always something that does but commercially there are issues there definitely and obviously ferran soriano gave a, a very eloquent speech uh, uh, which was i know conducted by chris bailey at the club mm. but went on the website and and he was very defensive of everything and, very, and quite bullish really in in his response. You think he's taken a bit of a risk by being so bullish at this stage? No, because he might think I'm going to get sacked anyway, whether 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 I've said that or not. I mean, but joke joking aside, I think he is confident. Um, 
one of the reasons I would say that is because there was you know recent investment of a ten percent equity from an American source, um, Silver the, Lake. The, Silver Lake, thank you. The due diligence they will have gone through will have been immense, including all of this. So they would you know that that again would would give some some degree of confidence, I think. Um, so, uh, you know, they know, I mean, the trouble with this, we're all talking with so little knowledge. They have got the, you know, the intricate details of all the cases. One thing I would say commercially, I suppose, and this is just using generics, really. I don't have a particular worry about the inflation of the um, sponsorships. Certainly, shirt sponsorship, if you look at the published figures, and admittedly, I mean, no one does publish them, so they're all slightly guesswork. I don't think that... Um, that it's it's over the odds for for what Etihad have, have paid and I know a little bit about this through the naming rights deal at um, Emirates Old Trafford and uh, and uh, you know the stuff I've done at Warrington, um, a company called Nielsen who are, you know probably one of the most reputable companies in the world who have done a lot of work in the past and, and other similar companies, they go through incredible you know complicated formulas to work out what the value of the rights are and my understanding would be that in terms of, of sure not really an issue when it comes to the naming rights which does look high, I sort of get that. But one of the things I would say, again, just based on experience, what actually is the right price for anything? If you ask me the deals that have been done, uh, you know, not just myself, but many of my colleagues over the last 30 years, sometimes you do a lot better than you, you know. You, you present a profession, of course you do, and there, there is a justification. But the reality is, is what someone will pay. So, there, you know, there are some deals who think, that's crazy, that's ridiculously cheap, and it's probably worth a lot more. Equally, there have been plenty of commercial deals done in the history of commercial sport, way over the odds. So it's actually very difficult scientifically to prove that we have inflated those, those figures. Also, if Etihad's account could actually be... Uh, they have, obviously have audited accounts, which are slightly different rules over there, so that they don't reveal all the figures. But the, you know, when it comes to this sourcing of you know how much was paid potentially by a third party, well, Etihad's accounts have to show that as a as a cost. If it was subsidised by someone else, then it would be a lot less. So somewhere that figure has to has to exist. My gut feel tells me they've got a, a hugely um, high degree of confidence in what they're doing, and um, you know they will. Uh, manage to, to defend their case and, and prove it's right. The trouble is there's so many other factors involved and the thing that really gets you, I think, cynically is you think that two years, as soon as I saw the two years, I'm thinking, I know exactly what's going on here. If they'd have gone one year, it, you know, how do you reduce it down? Two years is clearly excessive. It's absolutely clear what's happening there. I hope that that somehow can, can come out in the, uh, in the but situation. Even if, it, even if it's reduced to one on appeal, which is what you're suggesting could happen, that city is still guilty. Yeah, I, I think that would be a, a, a big blow, a big problem. I think we all maybe I'm maybe after all these years, I'm still allowed to be a bit naive and a bit hopeful. I, I you know, everything I, I you know I, I read and hear at our level points to um, some degree of confidence that uh, that this can be proven. As I say, until that that the, the final appeal has happened, whatever court it might be, I will support as a fan the club's view, and that's not being. Um, daft or silly or looking at this if you actually look at it objectively there's very very good reason to see why that be the case particularly executives who have done an amazing job transforming that club these are not people who are, who are anything other than very clever um, with great experience in terms of what they do why suddenly would they get this so so far wrong uh, and if they have then you know we'll have to suffer the consequences if that's the case we carry on supporting and do whatever's necessary I think I know the answer to this question from you two. Do you worry about the, the brand being tarnished and will it affect your support of City? Well, as he was talking there, I was going to jump in because my, my first initial thought when it happened was, <coughs> was disappointment towards the club more than anything. I thought in a, in a, a global market that football has become now, how you can have people in, that earn such much in such positions to get something so wrong with such, you know, uh, challenges that we'll, we'll face in the future and the knock-ons of that, I thought it, it, it was too naive to have to be a mistake. So when I've mulled on it, I've kind of... I was going to throw it over then when you were talking. I, was, I kind of feel like the club has orchestrated it a little bit. I feel like um, that they needed this massive punishment to be able to go in on UEFA. If it just... If they'd... If, if the club had kept playing on with the financial fair play game and you know taking the the twenty million pound fine every couple of years, but for this for them to come out with a what is probably a a, a milestone of a like a 
punishment for us and especially just for us and not PSG as well I think it allows the club to really you know pull out their their armory and go in on them and I thought this is what probably what they've been waiting for a little bit it's possible. Do you want to no, go on that? I, I just, uh, I mean, we don't know is the answer, and, and if that is the case, then then fair play to them. I, I think the there's two stages to it. Though whatever happens with this, you know, the, the, one of the arguments is you're in a club, you abide by those rules. Yes, we all get that and, and agree with that. And if we are found guilty, then we have to suffer those consequences. But whatever happens with that. The bigger issue, the second stage, has to be a complete review of FFP. Because I go back again saying that if we are found guilty and we get some form of punishment, let's go back to FFP. FFP is there to ensure financial sustainability of clubs, of which we clearly are one of the most sustainable. You know, we don't rely anymore. Yes, there was that initial investment of an awful lot of money to get us to where we are now. But we are now, through City Football Group, one of the model clubs. Why would you... You've then got to say, well, OK, whatever the situation with that punishment, let's look at FFP and anyone, whether it's UEFA or, should be, or, or a supporter of another club or a, or a director of another club, should be saying, this, whatever we think about City, this clearly isn't right because financial fair play is not designed to punish a club like City for doing what they, they've done. So there's two stages to it, the initial stage of defending where we are and then whatever happens with that... FFP has to be reviewed. I think this is why I feel like the club wants to blow it out of the water because by by complying with financial fair play as it is, we're admitting to always being in the the mega club's shadow because no matter what we do, we're not going to catch them up at the rate they're growing because they're always growing and but we can't catch them up at a quicker rate. So we're always going to be in that, that shadow and we'll be limiting ourselves. This is why I think they want to just smash it out, clear it out, because financial fair play doesn't doesn't protect against bankers' loans. It doesn't stop another Portsmouth from happening. You can still They can still turn around in the day. <coughs> but it, the, the money that the Sheik has put into the club, it's, it's, a, it's a gift, isn't it, really? It's not... We don't owe him that money. So... It, it's it's a completely flawed system, and the club. I think the club have realised that and have decided to make a, you know, a, a, a point about it. Yes, just one specific on that. The, the only thing I, w- I would say is that I think now the club actually can be, you know, more or less sustainable without any any big investment or, or you know any any sort of gifts from anywhere else. So that that's the irony that in terms of the current FFP um, rules actually would suit us quite well going forwards now, as long as we can demonstrate that the commercial revenues aren't inflated. If those are genuine commercial revenues, we're in as good a place as any to comply with FFP. So that there is, I think, you know, I think it's quite good of the club saying, hang on, we're not just going to accept that that suits us now. That that, that challenge actually is, well, again, let's look at the bigger picture here. What What's right for football? And, and you, you again make the point, other clubs who've had um, takeovers and then huge amounts of debts, put against them effectively with money coming out of the club, out of football, compared with money going in. So people have got to, have got to decide what they're arguing for. Are they saying, it's not fair? Man City have had all this money, it's not fair. That's, that's, that's a different argument, really, and that has to be addressed in football. And if there's a general feeling amongst football clubs where it's not right, look at wage caps, whatever it might be, but you've got to first decide what you really think is right. And actually, if you think, well, no, actually... Everyone in a football club would like to have owners like we have. We don't want to stop people like that coming into football. That's your starting point, and then you've got to devise rules and a system around it. But I don't think anyone's quite decided on that. Yeah, my reaction was just, I I saw it, and I was just like, oh, great. It's just another stick for everybody to beat us with. Um, And then I saw the statement from the club, really, really bullish and, and, you know, really, without saying the corrupt word, really um, full of venom towards UEFA and the fact that UEFA had been the judge, jury and executioner throughout the entire process and there'd been no degree of impartiality throughout it. So moving forward, let's see what the appeal brings because in light of the recent news about the, um, the man who was part of the FFP chamber being charged with bribery, you know... <sighs> We can't take anything as as uh, written back from UEFA because we know that there's stuff going on behind the scenes, the, you know, the, the the design to protect the elite clubs. And what what really riles me about the rival fans taking so much glee in this <clears throat> is that you should want other clubs to break through. Spending money in football is absolutely nothing new. FFP was brought in in 2011. 
Clubs have been spending money for years upon years. Liverpool, United, Blackburn Rovers under Jack Walker to a lesser extent. Chelsea, Abramovich, the money that Abramovich has pumped into Chelsea. The, the silverware that has been won, Leicester as well. All the trophies that have been won. But then when it comes to 2011 and it coming in and then it affects City... Other clubs should want to be able to break through and have a little bit more of a level playing field. So the glee just leaves such a sour taste in my mouth because they're kind of shooting themselves in the foot with it a little bit. But I mean, I want to believe that when the appeal comes through, I just want to see the impartiality of it all. And and let's just Mm. see what the impartiality is. Just on that point, I mean, I sort of get why other fans will do what what you're just saying. I I think the glee bit that bothers me is, is... um, the media reports and so on—that's the thing that gets me more because um, you know these are professionals who I think could, and also some of the headlines are absolutely crazy. I, mean, I had a bit of a, almost got into a Twitter debate with Ian Her, but he had actually replied to a tweet. The grubby little club. Um, and uh, his argument was, well, you know, it was this particular action that was grubby of the, you know, the non-apology for the, the comment made, but it was the headline that was the issue, and of course. Probably he's not written the headline, and, and, and that's an excuse I've heard many, many years, you know, in terms of how they say, well, I, the journalists, I, I don't write the headlines, and it's the headline that's offensive. What, what I'd like us to do is cast our minds back to that great moment when Aguero in the 93rd minute has popped that goal in. And 94th minute, actually. Well, like, technically 94th minute, yeah, 93 times. You're quite. You're, 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 93 can I just 20. say, this is the banker coming out in here. <laughs> um, so, uh, well, it, was, it was a co op bank, so it wasn't really a bank, was it? So. Uh, anyway, so cast our mind back to that, and afterwards, the and you can still YouTube it now, the plethora of fan celebrations and the many, many celebrations of fans from other clubs. There's one particularly memorable Liverpool fan. Um, jumping up and down in front of the, of the television. But the, 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 if you remember, and go back to that time, there was an outpouring of joy at City breaking the mould, particularly because it was United. But that was how everyone, maybe not so much supporters of lower league clubs who aren't that bothered, I, I get that. But generally, that was the vibe. The Sunderland fans at... Um, Stadium of Light, then it's a Roker Park, we're going back to other things. Um, the way they took the mickey out of the United fans, the way that that was, the joy and the revelry in it. Now, go forward seven, eight, nine years, where City have consistently dominated and won things, the whole ethos has changed. And the reason is because we now dominate and we, you know, it's very different to that breakthrough. And I wish that fans of would just admit that's the case. Because that's true, and there's actually nothing wrong with them feeling that way and feeling differently than they did then, but that is how it was. And if we hadn't had that investment, that moment that actually lit up football in this country would never have happened. We'll always be looked at as like a mediocre club who won the football lottery, but the fact of the matter is is that all the rival fans are just jealous because we did win the football lottery and they all wish that it would happen to their club as well. Now, no matter what happens, whether it's tainted or not, there's one thing for certain and it can never ever take away the memories that I've had over the past 10 years because my club have achieved things that I never thought would be even possible and the, the personal memories with my friends, my family are just unforgettable and you know so many reasons to be grateful but yeah I mean I'm still astounded that um, that, that I, I, I'm a I have a, a big soft spot for Wigan. I know a lot of City fans mm. don't after that FA Cup tie when there was problems on the pitch no, and we didn't know. obviously losing the FA Cup final and everything. But I have got a big soft spot for Wigan Athletic. And uh, and yet, when I was at the BBC, I interviewed uh, you know somebody high up at, at, uh, at Wigan who was dead against uh, City getting this influx of money. And I thought, the irony. Dave Whelan came in and, and basically yeah. funded your club. Yeah. Uh, you've got a fantastic stadium now. You were at Springfield Park when you started. You played in the Premier League. You've won the FA Cup. And I, for one, don't begrudge you. I mean, obviously, I'd have preferred City to have won that FA Cup final. But I really don't begrudge you um, that, that victory. It was great for football. And yet yeah. you now... Um, uh, uh, think that what City are doing, spending their own money and, and becoming a big powerful force, you don't like it. You're, you're absolutely right. There's, there is a huge amount of hypocrisy. But you make a really great point about Jack, Jack Walker. Now, if Jack Walker had come into any similar-sized club at that time and put that amount of money, they would have won the league. Absolutely as simple as that. It happened to be Blackburn. And generally, did we mind as football fans of other clubs? No, because it was breaking the monopoly of, of the elite. So... I, 
it's the hypocrisy that gets me. Factually, there's no problem with, with fans feeling like this. As fans of other clubs, you, you're going to always have a bit of a go and you're going to use something and you are going to be, be jealous. But let's be honest about it. Let's, let's understand why it's happening um, rather than this sort of, well, actually, you know, I don't follow any. You make a great point about, about Wigan again. It's that hypocrisy that, 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 that gets me. Now, though, let's have a look at the rules. Now, this will bring it all to a head. And, and it, I think one of the press reports, which I did agree, says this is the beginning. And I, I do sense that there's a real sea change that's going to come out of all of this, which hopefully will be good for football. Yeah, my, my final point on it is that no matter how much money you've got, you've got to spend it properly. You can have all the money in the world, but if you blow it on the wrong players and you don't yeah. make the correct team, you don't win anything. There's only 11 players in a team. Yeah, you, you, as, long, you, as long as you go out and buy the right players. If you look at the top 10, 15, 20, however many transfers there is, how many of them is a City player? Uh, I think it's a high still Mares, I think, and... Like any any team could have gone out and signed David Silva for twenty million. Any team could have gone out and bought Vincent Company what five million something like that. Zabaleta, Joe Hart, two hundred and fifty k. It's it's going. It's buying the right people at the right time that that fit together. And it's it takes more than just money to put that like into practice. I put out um, a piece on social media telling people that Jeff was on, Jeff Durbin, former commercial manager at City, and I've had a couple of replies. Yeah, like the sound of this. So I'm going to read these out. Jeff Duxbury um, has asked a question which you really answered already, which is the club seem very confident to be able to overturn <coughs> this ruling. Is that confidence well placed? It sounds like you're saying yes to that. Yeah, I'd say yes. So let's move on to another one. Uh, Richard Aldridge, uh, we did an interview for... Uh, Tameside Radio which is going to go out in a couple of weeks which is much more about Jeff's um, career and you might be able to hear that as a Forever Blue podcast in the summer we're going to hold that back till the summer but Richard Aldridge you mentioned in there because you, you employed him um, and so I'm not going to go into the great detail of it you'll have to listen to that other podcast but he says what a fantastic boss top man so I'm just going to read that out really? to massage your ego well to be honest I'm really, I'm really surprised he said that he certainly didn't if I got Half a minute for a story about Richard Aldridge when I employed, he was a United fan. So basically, I'd never employed a United fan before because in those days you didn't, you know, it was the way it is. So he, he's come in and he sort of adopted, you know, he became a bit of a blue, put pictures all around his desk on the walls. So we got to the end of the season. To be fair, he wasn't paid much money, he was a little bit skint. And it was that famous night where United won the treble. We were and probably till one and two in the morning at in the office, watching that game on a black and white TV with a coat hanger of an aerial stuck out, stuffing second division playoff final tickets into envelopes. They equalised, and I said to Rich, I said, they'll win it now. I bet you they win it. I bet you a fiver. No, they won't win it. So, of course, of course they, they won it. Um, and I took his money. And I don't think he was very happy about that because he couldn't <laughs> afford a fiver at that stage. And we got back to stuffing second division playoff uh, final on, uh, tickets in envelopes with all the corporates we took down and the rest of it. And, and that at that moment, although it was gutting, there was what we sort of concluded was there will never be a bigger gulf between City and United, and at that particular moment, second division player final, they've just they've just won the the big one, um, and that absolutely is true. We consoled ourselves at that time, and it's true that gap has closed, and eventually we we overtook them, and the rest is history. So, no, Richard was a, was a great employee, um, but I don't think he's ever quite forgiven me for taking that fiver off him. Alexander Savage, good story. Um, more more on uh, the the, the Tameside Radio program that's coming up. I'll tweet out the, telling you when it's on nearer the time. Alexander Savage uh, says, um, which I think again you've. Probably Answered. If the two-year Champions League ban remains, how could it possibly affect the City's reputation? So we've talked about that. Mm. As the Etihad deal uh, expires soon, who could possibly be the next big sponsor? Ooh. You got any insight into that? Well, no, I haven't got any insight into it, but uh, I, I think you know if you look at our properties, the actual worth of the value of them, um, then there would be a queue of interest. Um, so I, I, you know, I think from a marketing point of view, it'd be good, sort of good project to go through from a purely academic point of view because of the closeness of Etihad with the whole um, city brand and so on I'm sure they'd be very reluctant to see one of their rivals for example come in and uh, and, and, and and poach that particular uh, deal but look I mean there would be agents queuing up uh, and many many people looking at that it's not like oh we rely on that we couldn't get anywhere near it I, I, I think it'd be very I mean it's not going to happen but it'd be an interesting academic process to go through. Uh, Roger Reed, um, who used to be involved very heavily in the Junior Blues, and by the way, there is a, a there's a podcast that we did a few 
two or three months ago, I think, when Roger came in and we talked a lot about the uh, the Junior Blues. Um, so have a listen to that if you're interested in the Junior Blues. Mm. He says, it's another massaging of the ego here. Mm. Jeff is a top man, much like yourself, Ian. Oh, well, massage uh, my that's ego why he as read well. It out. <laughs> yeah, I knew those. Um, ask him about working at City and he's dead compared to now. Well, again, we've sort of talked about that and obviously there'll be a lot more of that in the, the interview we did for Tameside yeah. Radio. I, I do have to, I mean, Roger is one of the nicest guys you will ever meet. So I'm mean, a bit of a massage back to him, but genuinely so, yeah, top. Um, even though he said that my, my book, uh, Treble Triumph, in his review, had a couple of small mistakes in it. I thought, oh, what are yeah. them? And right, it was, it was tell a, me, Roger. Yeah, it was a bit dull. Because <laughs> you mentioned me in it, you see. But um, we, we didn't, I'm so major, I haven't got that link yet in terms of how everything was sort of you know, set you on the road. <laughs> this is Carl Rowe. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We might get to that at the end. Yeah. Um, Carl Rowe, do you know Carl yeah. Rowe? Yeah. Uh, ask him, can you actually believe what's happened, Jeff, commercially at the club? It's incredible, isn't it? And say hi from me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, Carl, I remember getting involved. There's a lot of fantastic sponsors that we had in those days when it was damn hard to get sponsorship off people. And a bit like, I guess, smaller clubs and other sports now. Maybe that's one of the things I took into to Warrington, you know, that, that sort of ethos that you had to have. Um, the first year I was there, the turnover of the club was 1.9 million. And it's now what six hundred million something like that, and seventy five percent was through the gate. So I think now it's about ten percent or something like that. So it's it's complete. It was a completely different era, and uh, you know I have to accept when we talk about my time there, it is history now. It's a completely different time. Um, but I think if you'd have said, particularly when we were two 0 down to Gillingham, at that moment, do you think in whatever it was, fifteen sixteen years, you're going to be sitting there at, at uh, a new stadium celebrating with it? You'd you'd have got the uh, you'll add so many white coats. I don't. You probably are anymore, but um, do you know what I mean? You'd have been you'd have been saying, yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, off, off your trolley. You can't possibly think something like that. So no, I mean, no one could possibly envisage it. I thought I would never see my club win a trophy until I dropped until the day I dropped dead. That was the thing. So that's why I, I you know. If nothing else happened now, it'd be like nothing could take away those memories. And you know, I know that's not what the club want to hear because they need to go forward. And you have to be saying, "What more can we achieve?" But no, it's quite incredible, really. Glenn Lockett, this is the final one I'll do on this. Um, Ask Jeff, what was the drink Howard Kendall gave us in the dressing rooms before the game against Tom Garner Motors? Do you remember that? <laughs> well, uh, it, this had better be, um, you know, an arg- uh, something we can put in a podcast. Your answer to this? I, I, I don't remember. Well, it'll be alcoholic because um, we we played. The, the best day in the year when I worked there was the end of season game, Man City 11 against Tom Garner Motors. And we, so I played 14 games at Main Road and won 14. So I used to wind up Mike Somerville about that, saying, well, until you've got 100% success record, don't start having a go at me because I didn't like being criticised. But it was, as a fan, the best moment at all. You know, so the first year, Roy Clark came on for the last 20 minutes and he was 64. Ken Barnes was playing. I can remember Glyn Pardo. Um, now getting the, uh, rid of a dirty tackle from one of these mechanics from Tom Garner Motors, and the referee didn't do anything. Within five minutes, Glynn had absolutely taken him out, and you know it's like this is what a professional does. Sort of thing. Glynn would have been under forty of them. Um, Howard, yeah, he, he could sink a few, but that you know that that's I remember. I mean, incredibly privileged to have done eleven months there as you know working with him, and he involved everyone. He was one of the, the best motivators ever, and he had great ways with the, the players. Quite often involving drink. I think there was a player who had been a fan had written twice saying um, that this particular player had been abusive and so on. So um, Howard got all the, all that together, and it was got some champagne out. It was maybe five bottles, probably hundred quid in those days. Um, they all thought this is going well, and it was like, well, okay, um, I need to know who it is. No one said anything. Well, if you don't say now, then you know when I find out, you're gonna have to buy the next round of champagne. And I think if Mr. Hinchcliffe put his hand up, said, "Oh yeah, it was me, boss." <laughs> and, and that was how Howard did things. But you know, as a Mr. Ordinary, that that's you know how us administrators see it. We are just ordinary people. We've been privileged to have been working alongside these legends, just to see little glimpses into how people like Howard motivated. He was he was incredible. Well, we've got to finish off this podcast by talking about the next big game. It's Champions League, um, as it stands. Um, if City were to lose this tie against Real Madrid, it might be their last Champions League game for a couple of years, two and a half years. <clears throat> Obviously, things can change. How do you feel going to Madrid? You're going, Nathan. Um, are you, I mean, apart from the football, uh, feel free to talk about the football. Are you anyxious at all? Because I, I've got to admit, I, I'm just a bit anxious. Not, not about the football. As I said, that's a different subject, but I just think Real Madrid being one of perceived as being one of UEFA's favourites, I think there could be a bit of tension over there. Oh, uh, I hope not. 
Uh, I've, I've not I've not been before, so I'm I'm excited about going. And Great city, you love it. Yeah, and apparently it's one of the best best grounds in the world. And I've, <coughs> obviously, I've been warned about the police, but I, you know, it's all all that stuff. I kind of think scaremongering, but. I, yeah, I think uh, I think we're in for a few. I think I think we'll get a few early bookings, and I think they'll get a few dodgy pens. But yeah, it's in 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 reality, I think um, I think it'll be a really good game. Two two world class teams battling out on at the greatest stage, and I think if as long as he plays the correct team, that's that's more more I'm worried about. It's not the players that he plays. It's it, it's the team that he has out there that that, so that worries me because I you don't think that team we saw at Leicester is likely to be the team. Um, it, it, I think I think it's going to be close to that, and I don't want it to be. That's the problem. I don't I don't trust him this year at all with his team selections. Um, if I could have it my own way in the middle, I'd have Fernandinho holding with uh, Kev alongside him, almost playing the same role that Tony Cruz does for Madrid, and then Bernardo uh, above with his energy. Um, but I can just see him playing <coughs> Fernandinho at centre half because he just seems to have this obsession with it. It's kind of like his, his, um, his almost. I, 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 I don't know the way to describe it, but he's got to prove people right that he's the best there. And same, same for Mendy. I, I, I don't, I don't really trust Mendy at left back. Um, uh, but as, as long as, as long as we've got, you know, players out there and <coughs> playing in a reasonable shape, I think we've got as good a chance as anyone. What are you thinking, Emily? Yeah, we went through, didn't we, a few weeks ago on the <coughs> podcast and we went player by player and we all gave our, our names into the hat for the starting eleven. I think there's absolutely no reason why we can't take it to him. I don't take um, a lot of joy in the fact that I've heard that Hazard is out injured. Um, definitely for the first leg, if not for both. Um, but obviously, you know, we've got to we've got to look at that. Um, but there's absolutely no reason why we we can't go out there. It's just will we? Because you remember, the, I know it's different with Pellegrini, but when we went out there full of hope and and we just kind of fell really really flat, and it was so disappointing. Pep has a real habit this season, particularly of springing surprises with his starting eleven. You can't really second guess who he's going to play. You take a three-two defeat, would you though? No. <sighs> Uh, well, no. Yeah, well, with, with the away goals potentially, mm. but I mean, I don't, don't want to go there and get beat. Um, but yeah, just the, the, there's no reason we've got the players capable. It's whether this season they can actually translate that onto the pitch because we've just seen so much inconsistency this season from them. Um, I just, yeah, I'm, I'm hope, I'm hopeful, um, and I'm always optimistic, but it's. Yeah, they're a really, really good team. What do you reckon, Jeff? I mean, sadly, I can't go. As you know, my sort of current life now is more around fostering. We've got three fantastic kids with us at the minute, so I'm not allowed to go to quite as many games, just in case my wife's listening to this. So I'd like to. I went to the last one, and it was a memorable game. I mean, yeah, it was flat, but it was, you know, it is, you'll, you're going to love it. I mean, it is, I think, the best stadium in terms of atmosphere, this Coliseum. It's incredible, and, uh, yeah, you know, you'll, you'll love it. Uh, just a shout-out for Fernandinho. I thought Fernandinho wasn't just good. I thought he was magnificent against Leicester. Um, and, you know, if he can perform like that, I think that that's, that that's you know, absolutely critical. I just thought he... I thought he wasn't given as much credit as he should have done for that performance. You know, particularly someone like Chilwell, who you know is incredibly quick. He actually made Chilwell look not so quick. And um, uh, you know, I, I yes, I know he's a bit older, and, and you, you can argue certain things, but I just thought he was fantastic. And uh, I'd, I'd be very interested to see how the players. You know, every player's going to be looking individually. Is this our last chance? in the Champions League and so on, I'd be really interested in the, in the mindset of those players. They can't admit what they're saying. Pep can't say what he's saying. But if they can channel that energy and thinking that we've got to do this, and as you say, they're world-class, I think it could be very interesting. Mm. I'll be out there vlogging as ever, so uh, look out for that on uh, the YouTube channel, Forever Blue. Uh, thanks very much to Nathan for coming down tonight, and of course, Emily. Safe travels. See you out there, Nathan. Um, to Jeff, uh, former commercial manager at City, uh, always a pleasure. Yeah, thank you um, for inviting I, I did, me. Loved it. I did say that maybe we should finish the podcast off with this, but, but first of all, thanks very much to CharlesLouis.co.uk, sponsors of the the, uh, the podcast, the Chartered Mortgage Advisors, and really appreciate your support, guys. And so, if you're going to go and get a mortgage somewhere or you want some advice, have a look at their website, CharlesLouis.co.uk, and as give Louis them support. As in the French, as in the French, as opposed to You've the on it. yeah, as a, uh, well, Louis L. How do you spell L E W I or L E? Don't don't distract me Sorry now. About that. So 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 when did we? How did you get me involved in City at the beginning? You, you want well, to take all the credit for it? 
Well, I don't know if it's credit. Some people might might not thank me for it. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know, but um, no, it's, it's because we were skint, couldn't afford anyone else. So we, we, we someone who was working in, in a bank who v- v- came in to see me, and as you said, there was no eating on. You just about got a cup of tea out of us because we couldn't afford the tea bags. Um, and we had, you know, videos was a new thing, and we needed a, a commentator on the club's videos. So uh, I gave you a shot, and, and and the rest is history, isn't it, cheesy? So um, you know. we've both lost all our hair since then, <laughs> these City fans. <laughs> we never had any hair, I don't know, but. Uh, no, it was look very mem- sort of fond memories of those days. It was the, the you know sort of the early days, wasn't it, of broadcasting? It gave you an opportunity to get getting in. Even when you then said, "Oh, Jeff, I've got some great ideas. Can we? Can I bring in like a co-commentator, or whatever?" Yeah, as long as it's not going to cost us anything. You know, we we didn't <laughs> have anything a, a, at all to do. But uh, you know, you, you've you, you made that break in in, a, in a, from a. Uh, dare I say, a boring banking career. That it was, you don't need to dare yeah, to say that. It was that, a boring banking but, career. But, <laughs> you know, not everyone can do that. You know, it was quite a difficult thing, you know, financially and all sorts of other things. And I, I do, you know, I'm glad that we gave you that chance. But, yeah, I can't say it was thanks to uh, the chairman or anyone else at that sort of stage. It was a little bit of, oh, go on then, let's let's do it. Uh, we had some fun and, uh, you know, it was slightly different. If you hadn't done those videos, then uh, Paul Lake wouldn't be uh, looking at a lot of his old games because I think he's he's uh, sort of talks about that and, and we, we, we look at it. So, yeah, it was... He's all my videos fun. I'm going to anymore no and the, do you know that some of the best memories is after the 5-1 one of the things I used to have to do is run up the top of the stairs so I could run a bit faster in those days and get the dump off copies and then we, we had more people on corporate hospitality away from the ground going to the Portland Thistle and the Four Seasons Hotel because we only had two rooms 150 people so I had to get onto the so all these United fans who were pretty fed up and I remember going up the steps waggling a little video so you just got to watch it all again now on your co- coach trip back to uh, listening to you commentating on the <laughs> on the 5-1 so uh, yeah happy days cheesy and uh, you know 30 odd years later whatever it is uh, you know here you are thanks for giving me a break um, no thanks, thanks to everybody uh, we'll do another podcast next week uh, City Play Aston Villa of course at Wembley on Sunday so that means we'll be recording it on the Monday rather than the Sunday um, so if you're looking out for it Sunday night then you'll have to wait an extra 24 hours thanks as ever to Will for uh, filming little bits of this which may, may well appear on uh, Twitter or YouTube or wherever uh, and uh, remember uh, as I always say and I never felt more like singing the blues. No, I'm not going to go into song, but <laughs> but I absolutely could not mean this more. It's great yeah, it's being a blue, isn't it? Absolutely. Isn't it great being a blue? We'll Never better. <laughs> See you next time.